As you came in today, you received a folder on the outside of your bulletin. This folder is a, for a very specific person, or purpose, not person. And uh, I want you to know that uh, we feel like this series is uh, something that is worth saving because it will help you to continue to write the story of your life. If you were here last week, the notes that you took, place them inside this folder because I know you kept them. And if you didn't, we'll make those available again next week. And then place today's notes in here and the two weeks that follow. And then put this somewhere important so you can from time to time review the story that you're writing and look back and have some positive impact on your life. Uh, I didn't get a chance because I was up in the baptistry to welcome everyone. We're glad you're here. Are you glad to be here so far? Good. Well, we've probably already done the best part. I just want you to know that, uh, but I'm glad you're here. And if you uh, didn't receive, if you're a guest or uh, first time in a long time and you didn't receive a yellow bag or gift on the way in, make sure you stop at the starting point as you depart and get one of those. In front of you on the pew are connection cards, and those cards are there for you to communicate with us Uh, prayer requests, things going on in your life, choices that you make, uh, maybe a choice to follow Christ today and be baptized. Uh, Take the time to fill one of those out and make sure we get those as you depart. We're in a series entitled, My Story. And the fact of the matter is, as much as uh, uh, we don't want to think about this, every choice, everything we do in life Uh, plays a part in our story. There were some times in my life where things were happening, very negative, very hurtful, even very sinful. And I look back and I wish I could edit out that part of my story. I wish I could get rid of some of that. Matter of fact, I'm not going to tell you about all those things today unless you listen really closely. There have been other times where I felt like things were really good. God was blessing, and my story was headed up. And I expect you feel the same way. Truth is, very foundational, very basic thing that I want you to write down here, everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. You've got one. Whether you want to admit that or not, uh, people are watching you. They're looking at your story. They're reading your story. Everyone has a story, and the decisions that we make today determine the stories we'll tell tomorrow. Today, you're writing a story. You chose to be here and not somewhere else. I believe you're here because God brought you to this place, and God wants to add a chapter, a new chapter, a a positive chapter to your story. Now, here, here's the, the sticky part. I, uh, I don't know about you, but I have wonderful, wonderful intentions in life, don't you? Anybody here woke up today and, and said, you know what, I want to make this a miserable day? I want to do everything I can to infect with my uh, anger and my bitterness everyone I see today. I want to see what I can do to destroy somebody's life today. Anybody wake up like that? Anybody wake up and said, man, I'd like to rob a bank today. 
something like that. You know, we don't think that way, do we? Uh, when I get up in the morning, I lay there for a minute, I think, and I pray, and I think about the people that I love and, and what I'd like to see happen in their life. I, I think about what I'd like to accomplish and what I'd like God to do through my life, and, and I, I wake up with great intentions. And, and, and I also have intentions of writing a great story. I've got all sorts of hopes, dreams, and plans that haven't come true in my life yet, and I, and I have every intention of, of doing whatever I can to get what I want, what I need, what I, God wants for me. I am a great intender, if you can use that word that way. But intentions aren't actions, are they? And so in a very practical way, what we're talking about today is you determining not to intend to do something, but to do something. Intentions matter very little. It's direction that determines your destination. It's what you actually do. The story you actually write. Last week, we talked about what we need to start, and I challenged each of you to come up with one thing, one thing that you're going to do to make your life different. One thing that you commenced last week, remember we, we, we took our phones out, we uh, set the alarm for 1202 because that's our foundational verse, Hebrews 12.2, and we prayed about what we were going to start. Let's look at Hebrews 12 too right now because we're going to continue thinking about that verse. Watch it say, looking unto Jesus, the author or the storyteller, the author and finisher. Maybe your translation reads perfecter. The one who's helping you to write your story in a perfect way, who for the joy that was set before him endured. Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith. And so we decided to use that verse and, and to start something new. We prayed about that at 12.02 every day. Here's what I decided to do. I decided to lose 10 pounds. I decided to start a diet. And, and I've heard lots of great testimonies this week about stuff that you've started and places where you've prayed, but none of your testimonies matches mine. I decided to lose 10 pounds, and I, I went to bed at 12.02, Saturday or Sunday, right after church. I prayed about that just before I fell asleep at 12.02, Monday morning. I prayed about that. I asked the whole church to pray about that. Help me to lose 10 pounds. At 6 o'clock Monday morning, I woke up and my stomach felt like that I'd eaten a thousand White Castles. <laughs> it was rumbling and growling and hurting and cramping and and it took everything that I could do to get out of my, I, I was headed over to the hospital, to get out of my car and get into the BP where I will never be allowed again. <laughs> Suffice it to say, 
that over a couple of days, without ever trying, I lost 10 pounds. (laughs) Now, I have a very special request for everyone. Stop that prayer. Now, change it. Stop it. No more virus. I can hug some of you if you'd like to lose weight. Today, you let me know. But we all determine, here's what we're going to start. Here's something fresh and new. Here's something that God wants me to do with my life, and, and I want to do something positive. And I hope that continues for you today. This morning, it's going to be a little tougher. It's going to be a little more convicting, a little more difficult going to require a lot of honesty and integrity before God, because we're going to talk about some things we need to stop, some things that if if we don't get them out of our life, have the potential to literally decimate our story. And every person in this room, no matter how holy and righteous no matter how uh, sin-free you may believe you are, all of us have things that don't fit in the story God wants to author for us, don't we? A couple of reasons why we need to stop some things. And I want you to begin to crystallize in your mind, to begin to think about and just pray about as you listen what, what God's saying to you about what you need to stop. A couple of reasons for stopping. The first is this, if there are things in your life that are negative and you don't stop them, you don't know what you're missing on the other side. You don't know what you're missing. Now, I don't know what you're thinking about or what's in your life that doesn't need to be there, but all of us know that, that there are, are, are things that can become so powerful, some addictions and obsessions in our life that can come, become so powerful that, that we don't know what could be happening in our life if we weren't involved in those things. I think about things like alcohol and narcotics. I, I, I think about folks who just continually overeat and are, are constantly sick. I, I, I think about people who have lived a certain way for so long that has robbed them of their joy. They don't know what it's possible to experience in life. Because they hang on to this nasty habit. They hang on to this burden. They hang on to a terrible relationship. You remember back when you were in school, and some of you are in school now, and you're living this, and you're, you, you've got maybe a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and, and things aren't really good with them, and they're not really making you happy, but you have a girlfriend, and you want to hang on to them so you won't look like a loser. And, and so you're in high school, and, and you're with this person you don't think you should be with, and you're just kind of hanging on, and you're watching the other girls and the other guys walk down the hall, and you're thinking, maybe if I could get rid of this so-and-so, I could get that so-and-so, and so-and-so's a crazy word to use, but I couldn't think of anything else, and, and so you stick in that relationship, and you never, ever experience the fun that high school should be, the, what, what might happen in your life if you met someone else. You see, there are many, many examples of 
of us staying and doing and, and, and hanging on to something or someone that keep us from missing the blessings of God. You know, I waste a lot of time pursuing things that aren't good for me, don't you? I spend a lot of energy that I could spend positively doing things that I really probably shouldn't be doing, don't you? You don't know what you're missing if you don't stop. Secondly, you don't know what it'll cost you if you don't stop. I uh, get to answer a lot of theological questions at times, and, and, and one of the things that people talk to me a lot about is what does God do? What does God cause in my life? Does God cause these burdens, these problems, these sicknesses, those kind of things? And, you know, I'm one of those folks who interpret Scripture to say, you know, that certainly activity of God, God gives us wake-up calls, God does some things in our life to cause us to want to come back to Him. Uh, But more often than not, I, I believe that Evil in the world and Satan's activity leads to these negative things in our life. But that God uses those things to bring us into relationship with Him. And I really believe, though, that what we don't think about when we allow evil into our life, when when we do things that are detrimental, that are hurtful, that, that, that destroy relationships and, and, and our lives are broken. We don't think about what it costs. We, we make a stupid choice today. Five years later, the consequences come back to roost. You know, I, I did a lot of really stupid things when I was a teenager. Nothing really bad. Nothing really bad in case you're writing a book, but just stupid. I I was thinking the other day about how a couple of my friends and I uh, went to the Thompson's Food Town in Nicholasville and bought a bunch of eggs. I don't mean a carton, I mean a case. We spent everything we'd earned that day buying eggs, and we just went around throwing them at other cars. Now, why would somebody do that? That's, that's real smart, isn't it? Stupid. We were bad eggers. We egged ourselves. I, I actually threw one up trying to hit a car coming past us, and we ran underneath us and hit us in the windshield. Stupid. And I have seen my kids. It's come back to roost. Amen? Why did they do that? I mean, it doesn't make sense. And you see, you don't know. You can't see in the here and now what your choices cost you. And sometimes sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. It costs you more than you ever wanted to pay and leave you empty and broken. And so what I'm trying to get you to focus on is simply this. If there are things in your life that you honestly know don't belong, 
Why not stop? Why not stop? In Exodus chapter 18, there's a very, very uh, compelling story about Moses. Moses was the man God chose to lead his chosen people, the Israelites, out of bondage as slaves in Israel and back to the land. This is a technical problem. And back to their promised land in Canaan. As they went along the way, marvelous things happened, like the parting of the Red Sea, manna falling from sky. But their numbers also increased and their problems also increased. I've often asked this question, and you can answer it for me today. What happens when you get ten Baptists together? Trouble. Thank you, Scott. Are there any other answers? Nothing happens. Apathy. Eat. Yeah, there. that's good. Well, the answer I was going for is there's usually a battle, you know, a conflict, problem, issue. And that's what began to happen with the children of Israel. Troubles come, fights break out, conflict. And so Moses became not only the lawgiver, not only the leader, he also became the judge. And so with thousands of these folks battling every day, all day long, Moses sat there and listened to their problems. And if you look in chapter 18, Bill's going to put that uh, verse up for us now. Finally, he talked to his father-in-law, and Jethro said to him, Moses, this thing that you do is not good. Say that with me. This thing that you do is not good. Matter of fact, if you keep this up, if you have all this heaped on you, if you continue in the path that you're walking, it's going to wear you out. If you don't stop now, it's going to wear you out. If you read the rest of chapter 18, Moses heeds his father-in-law's advice. He prays about it. He begins to bring people in underneath him, and Moses' life changes. And, and the crux of what I'm saying to you today is this. These things that you do, this thing that you do is not good. It's just not good. And if you don't stop, it's going to sap the life out of you. There are going to be consequences that you don't want to deal with. There are going to be burdens. There, there are going to be relationships that are lost if you don't stop. You know that. So very prayerfully today, very prayerfully, I want you to ask a question. Because here's where it starts. What does God want me to want? What does God want me to want? Where's God taking me? Where's my destination? How do I want my story to look like a year from now, five years from now, throughout eternity? What does God want me to want? Maybe the answer's peace. Might be salvation. Might be a new start. What does God want me to want? And then the question comes, in order to get there, what do I have to stop? 
what in my life has to go. Now, if you're like me, you could write down a dozen things. But we'll not be able to do a dozen things, will we? We'll not be able to stop that much. So let's choose one. One thing, one thing. What's God speaking into my heart right now, my mind? What does he want me to stop? So that I can live the story that he wants me to live. Isn't it amazing when I lay down at night trying to sleep? That seems to be at the time in my life where God screams. God talks to me a lot. He whispers some, but he screams when I'm trying to sleep. I just want to say, hey, God, couldn't we talk about this at noon tomorrow? Can I just not sleep? And he he convicts and he compels and, and he says, you know, You've got to stop that. Or things aren't going to be the way you want them to be in your life. So what I'm asking you is, what what does God say to you when he speaks to you the most intimately? What does he want to do in your life? Notice some of you were quick with your pencil and something came to mind. Others of you are still thinking and praying and Others of you are too perfect to write anything down. So I'm going to give you some things to help you think, okay? Maybe these apply to you, maybe they don't. But here's a list. Maybe what God's saying to you today is it's time to lay down the bottle or the can, the alcohol. I know because I've read the Bible that the Bible says that it's okay to drink some if you're a churchgoer. It's not really okay to drink much if you're a deacon and you shouldn't drink at all if you're a preacher and nobody should get drunk. Amen? But if drinking's a problem in your life, it doesn't matter who you are, you ought to quit. If it's robbing you of things that are better, if that's what you think about and focus on rather than living the life God intend you to live, you ought to quit. You ought to stop. You ought to stop immediately and find the help you need to stay stopped. Maybe you've taken it a step further and you've turned to a, a, a bottle of pills. Or maybe it's even a deeper addiction for you and you're, 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 you're sneaking around and getting stuff to alter your mood and change your mood. I talked to a guy yesterday who told me 40 people had died in northern Kentucky in the last six weeks due to heroin overdoses. 40 people. 40 people. It's not worth it. There's nothing so terrible in life to face that you have to surround yourself and drown yourself. And that escape. Drugs, alcohol. Maybe you're married and you forget that from time to time. And you look elsewhere to another man, another woman. Maybe you're just involved in a relationship that's illicit and wrong and, and you know it's wrong and you just keep going. 
There's no good that will ever come from that. Maybe your problem is pornography. You've got a secret password and secret habits and secret thoughts and you find yourself looking at things you don't need to see, thinking thoughts you don't need to think, dreams you don't need to dream, and you dismiss the truth of your addiction. Maybe you spend more time across the river or on the boats than you do here at church. Maybe yesterday was a great day in your life because there was a horse race and you could bet. Maybe while you sit here in this place today in your purse or your wallet, you've got about $50 worth of lottery tickets. You know, gambling is not necessarily mentioned in the Scripture, but I think we're smart enough to know that if we have an addiction to gambling, you're eventually going to lose. And you're going to lose in a way that will rob you of a lot of important things in your life. Maybe you're a smoker. Somebody said once, smoking won't send you to hell, but it'll just make you smell like you've been there, right? (laughs) What I think today is smoking will make you smell like our basement, right? (laughs) You've been down there. Did anybody know we had a fire Friday night at 2.40 a.m.? Thank you. Fire station for calling me. It's okay, water damage, no one, nothing got burned up, and it doesn't even smell bad up here. Maybe you don't smoke, but you're a dipper. Oh, my, he's going to get into everything today, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Can I tell you my first uh, experience with dipping? My great-great-grandmother, who came from the mountains to Owen County, was a dipper. Now, she didn't go to the store and buy Skoll or Copenhagen or have a little pouch. She'd go out in the field and pull it from the stalk. And she'd stick that right there. When I met her, she was about 90, and I was about 4. And she had this natural little brown drool stain right here. Little flow. My mom would say, kiss granny goodbye. (laughs) I'd say, no, you kiss granny goodbye. (laughs) It's not going to be me. Maybe you're just a jerk. (laughs) You gripe, you nag, you fuss, you, I mean, people get around you, they can't, you know people like that, maybe you're just a jerk. You can't say anything good, positive, happy. You don't see anything in life through eyes of joy. Maybe that's the thing that just literally saps the life out of you. Maybe you're a liar. (laughs) You... uh, Your story, you don't even know how to tell it because you've told so many lies, you've forgotten the truth. You've just forgotten the truth. It's fiction, not fact. You live a lie, you lie to your family, you lie to yourself, you try to lie to God. Maybe uh, you're a gossiper. 
Maybe you're the kind of person who didn't write anything down, but you looked at your neighbors so you could tell about it. <laughs> Whoa, did you see what they wrote down? Oh, man. They're, I, how is it that, here's what I think. If you're not happy with your life, if you're not happy with who you are, you have to start to talk about other people to make you feel better. And it's a terrible, terrible way to carry out your life because it literally destroys other people. Nine times out of ten, gossip is falsehood. It's a sin. And you ought to stop. Maybe your language is terrible. Maybe you think every sentence deserves a curse word. Maybe you use God's way, uh, name in ways that you don't see in the Bible. And when people talk about you, they say, ooh, here comes a salty tongue. I don't think that kind of language ever draws anybody to God. I want you to know because I'm a preacher that I've had to cuss a few times. I've had to come out of a meeting or two and just cuss. But I felt guilt. And that's not the kind of stuff that I want to be known for. Maybe you're busy doing great things and you're rising up at your job. Or or maybe you have this hobby and you're wonderful at it. And every free minute you get, you're on the golf course or you're uh, at the fishing pond or whatever it is. You don't spend much time with your family. When your hair gets this color and your kids have started to leave home and your parents have aged or died, you'll regret the time that you didn't spend with the people you love the most. Maybe you are a, an eater. I, uh, my mom lives with me, for those of you who don't know, she has dementia. And when someone has dementia and you're that close with them, you either laugh all day or you cry all day. We choose to laugh most of the time. One of the things we laugh a lot about is whatever you put anywhere near my mother, whether it be food, whether it be the plate, whether it be your cell phone, your hand, she eats. I have been bitten. I can show you the marks here. You know, I got to thinking about that one time. She'll eat anything. And I said, she's just like me. (laughs) And she might be just like you. And you're literally eating yourself to death. I I hate to go here because this one is really, really convicting. Maybe you're addicted to technology. You see me about anywhere, this will be in my hand. It'll be here, it'll be here, it'll be here. When it gets here and I can't see anymore, I pick that up, lay that down, and pick this up because it's bigger. Practically anything I need to know or do can be found in one of these two. There's a computer in my room. I've got video. I mean, you've got, I'm addicted. If I have to go through a meal and not touch my phone, it makes me sick. Uh, if I don't know who's called me or what's happening in the world. 
Yeah, a great big thing in my life, in your life, if you're addicted to technology, Snapchat has changed this week. Snapchat. Where have you been, Scott? This is the 21st century. It's where you send pictures of yourself to people with a little message. Now you can do it differently, and I don't know what to do. This is an uneducated audience, isn't it? Do I need a teenager to stand up and tell you all about Snapchat? Maybe you spend money you don't have. Use credit cards to buy stuff, then pay off one credit card with another credit card, and then pay that off with another. Buy things you don't need with money you don't have to please people who don't care. And you're floundering. Most of those things we just talked about are fairly external. They're obvious and people can see. And Maybe the bigger problems are for those of us who are sitting here today saying, well, I, I would never stick dip in my mouth. I'd never smoke a cigarette, never drink a beer. My finances are right where they should be. And maybe it's the internal things in our lives, like a critical spirit or a lack of humility that has to stop. But you see, I'm crazy enough to believe that God spoken to every person in this house today and said, stop this now or else. And the good news is this, your story isn't over yet. Your stories aren't over yet. Just a question, how many of you today are alive? Maybe I need to answer just one more time. (laughs) How many of you today are alive? Let me hear you say it. I'm alive. I'm still kicking. My story isn't over yet. You even said it at the same speed. That's great. God's not done. Hope is still there. Heaven is still possible. The consequences can be relieved. The burden can be lifted. The story can change, but we've got to be willing. It's got to beat within us with a passion to stop, to stop, to get rid of that thing in our life so we're not ruined. I want you to take your phone out one more time. You need to stand up to pull it out whatever, just do it. And I want you to go to your calendar. I want you to type in 1202. I want you to set the alarm for the rest of this month. I want you to pray at 1202 every day for that thing that you want to stop. Don't pray for me this week, please. I'm not sure what might happen. Don't just pray for each other. 1202. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, just before 12, 2, where it says, 
Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. In verse 1, it says this, laying aside every weight, being ensnared by encumbrances. Get rid of them. Get rid of those things that weigh you down. Get rid of the sin that ensnares you. Get rid of the things that Satan has placed in your life so you can write a story worth telling. A story worth telling. Would you pray with me? Father, right now, you know, and you're sharing and screaming, you know what needs to happen in our lives. We know what needs to happen in our lives. And so I want to invite people to this altar, to this place of communion where they can share in a holy moment. I want to invite people to listen and respond to your love, to your grace. We can't get rid of these things without you, Father. We can't do it. So empower us and equip us. Strengthen us so we can live a great story. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. If God's calling, God is inviting you to his place, you come. You come right now. Great.